0: This is the Living Breadsonal podcast, brought to you by the Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode focuses on the faith of a Canaanite woman found in Matthew 15:21-28. To Together, we will be discussing the good news of
1: Christ with us. Hi everybody. I'm Nick.
2: I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany.
1: And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast, back with you this week between Christmas and New Year's, and I'm just going to throw it out there right at the beginning. Uh, We are actually recording this episode on Sunday, so if you're listening to it, I know it's Wednesday morning, but it is Sunday, so Merry Christmas, right? Yeah. Merry Christmas. Uh, We hope you guys have uh, had an awesome time with your families this week, Um, but we're glad that you're joining us. and so. Uh, As you join us today, we are uh, just continuing our journey through Matthew. Uh, Our passage is Matthew 15, verse 21 through 28. And as a reminder, uh, last week in in Matthew 15, 1 to 20, we talked about God's focus on purity of heart rather than purity in tradition, the purity that the Pharisees were speaking of heavily. And this week, we're going to just continue... Uh, to talk about the expansiveness of the kingdom of heaven in the context of Jesus' conversation here with a Canaanite woman. So uh, today, uh, Natasha is going to be doing our reading for us. So, Natasha, would you take it away and read this passage?
0: Yeah. So this is Matthew 15, verse 21. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment.
1: All right. Thank you for that, Natasha. So, um... Definitely an interesting passage. Uh, let's just go from there. What are you guys seeing? What are you hearing in this passage?
3: The first thing that really sticks out to me is <clears throat> the recognition that that she's a Canaanite woman, that Jesus is is a Jew, and and she um, she approaches him in a manner that would honor the position that that not everyone necessarily recognizes within Jesus. She recognizes him as Lord. Um, and then she continues on, and uh, Jesus acknowledges, you know, that He came only uh, for the lost sheep of Israel, and yet she continues persisting and, and calling out, and, and there's this reference to dogs, which in that context would have been um, kind of a, a an egregious statement to make towards someone, you know, calling them a dog. And Dogs at that time were scavengers, they were seen as like a nuisance, you know, and so uh, there's just this this almost separation made, and so there there's a lot of contextual things going on. I think that can kind of help because we look at it and we think dog and we think of dog like a pet, but that wasn't really the reference Jesus was making. And so there's definitely this this underlying contextual stuff that can really help us to understand what's what's being said here or what Jesus is trying to communicate.
1: Yeah. So. The thing that I'm seeing is there. There's obviously this very clear distinction that seems to be being drawn in this passage between you know the Canaanites and the Jews, right? They're, They're the Canaanites are understood as the other. I guess is a way that you could say it. Like they are the outsiders. The Jews are the insiders. And Jesus is initially you know in the in the opening part of this. Well, in the the first half of this exchange, Jesus is kind of painting the picture of, for lack of a better term, the dichotomy that exists, right? Like the, you are either a Canaanite or you are uh, like a, an outsider, a Gentile, or you are a Jew. Like there's, there's two camps you can exist in, and she clearly exists in the other camp, and we are over here in this camp. Um, and then he kind of continues on the conversation from there. I think... Before we go too much further, it is important for us to always hold this in context and in conversation with what has come before because uh, the authors of the Gospels are very intentional at how they bring these stories together. And as a reminder, you know, last week we talked about um, that which defiles us and this understanding that it's really the heart that it either defiles somebody or, or marks them as pure. And, um, if you think back a few, well, a number of weeks ago, a couple of chapters ago, um, Jesus has this conversation and identifies that those who are obedient are the ones who, uh, are a part of my family, right? When, when they have people say that, Oh, your, your mother and your brothers are outside. And he says, well, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Um, but those who do the will of my father, they are my mother and my brother. Um, and so, again, this this heart conversation enters the scene. Um, and so I think it's important for us to hold those pieces that have come before as we read this passage.
0: Well, and I think it goes back even earlier than that, like right all sure. the way back to chapter five in Matthew. Yes. Yeah. So this is kind of a theme that's woven all throughout
1: the heart conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and so it would be easy if we just, you know, if you're just tuning into the podcast or if you just pick up a Bible and, and turn to Matthew 15, 21, you might get a really weird picture of who Jesus is. And so it's very important for us to keep those other pieces, carry them forward into this conversation and and maybe then ask the question of okay so why is it that Jesus is then having this conversation why is it that Jesus is saying these seemingly i don't know for lack of a better term questionable things like it right. it doesn't seem like Jesus It's definitely right. offensive. And that
3: that's what I I shared with Brittany uh, when we were sitting around our table I was like this doesn't seem like the compassion and love but you said something earlier um when we were off the air about being like a teachable kind of moment um, for, for Jesus. And so that's kind of the way, as you said, that it kind of made me think like, okay, so what, what is he really like, what's the heart that he's trying to teach here? And for me, like he's trying to teach the importance of not just like uh, blindly following, uh, you know, a fad or following something, but following like with faith, to me that's what I'm seeing like he's he's trying to teach like the importance of faith and what that looks like and what that can produce because we saw that earlier with the Centurion it's a very similar kind of of story about this faith like not even not even that he has to go and physically do the work but it's more about like what is in your heart and so it's almost like um as as we get a bigger picture of what the kingdom of heaven is like this is an expectation, like, you know, this uh, obedience is the next step, like, that's what I'm asking for, obedience in in faith, and so, I don't know, that's just something that, as you were saying that, that kind of popped into my mind.
2: So, with saying, talking, what you said, Nick, about the heart, my mind, and it may have, I believe that it was Jesus, looked at the words that Jesus said, and he is, the, the disciples ask him a question, and this is the first time, I think, correct, that somebody outside of the Israel went to him and asking for something. Is that correct?
1: Well, we have the the centurion, centurion. for sure, that I can think of off the top of my head. That was a few chapters ago. Okay. So a kind of similar situation to this. Um, otherwise, it's just like masses of people come to him. So we don't know if they're Israelites or outsiders, who knows?
2: Well, Matthew makes a very clear distinction that she was Canaanite. Yes, Mm -hmm. 100%. To prove a point, I think,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: that she is not of their origin, that she is different. And the words that Jesus says, he's speaking to the disciples at first and says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. They know that. They know that he's come there to save Israel. Like that's the whole reason he's there. That's you know, they're all what they were all waiting for a king to save Israel. And it seems like when he's talking to the woman, it's the thoughts that the disciples may have had mm. the thoughts that it's not right to do that. It's not right to take what should be for Israel and give it to somebody that's not. And there's been times in my life when I have had thoughts and, or, you know, other, you know, thought that, Oh, you know, I deserve this, but Jesus has done things to humble me. And my, you know, just in thinking that maybe Jesus knows what they're thinking. He knows that they're thinking, you know, this is not where we're supposed to, this, this is for us. This is not for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and he's kind of testing that, pushing that boundary a little bit for them.
1: That's so good. Like he's giving a voice To the thoughts that they already have. Hmm. And and in so doing, he's essentially calling out their stinking thinking, maybe, that's occurring.
2: Well, and we just had a conversation about what's in the heart Mm. is what we produce. And if they're having the thoughts in their heart that, oh, this is not what we need to do, then he's just showing this is the thought in your heart and this is what I'm going to put words and legs to that.
1: Well, I I mean, yeah, I I guess I see no reason to refute that because Jesus, there's what, three verses or two verses that happen of this woman pursuing them and the only thing it says about Jesus is Jesus didn't say a word and Jesus didn't open his mouth until the disciples said, send her away. She keeps crying out after us and so it's in response to his disciples saying, "Man, we've got to get this woman out of here." That he then, maybe, yeah, maybe gives a voice to the thoughts that are going on in their mind that that bring forth these words that say, "Send her away," right? This this intention of the heart that overflows into words that say, "Get her away from us." Jesus then speaks and becomes a teacher, or <laughs> not becomes, but in this moment again becomes teacher.
2: I wish we had the response. I wish we knew what the disciples did or what they said because man I just wonder what the response was.
3: I wonder if we even read it in the way that Jesus said it like we read the questions like they're condemning her Hmm. we don't read it with like with the point that Brittany made like that it's not really while she's the one asking the questions and directing her attention toward Jesus maybe indirectly he is really like speaking back to them in a way that they would understand. And so, you know, we, we read it with the inflection that we see in it when that really may not be the tone. It's it's kind of like a text message, like you can't really get any tone from someone when you text them. And I don't know if the tone in the way that we necessarily read it is the same way that Jesus said it.
0: When I just imagine too, that based on the disciples response, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. In verse 23 is probably affirmed in their mind by Jesus's lack of response toward her to this point. Mm. So I wonder just if Jesus can hear their thoughts, if he knows their thoughts, they're being revealed to him through the, through, you know, through the spirit um, and in connection with his father, like he's, he's hearing these build you know, oh, she's so annoying. Oh my goodness. Do something, do something, do something. And then finally they just can't help it anymore. Feeling that they're in good company because well, Jesus hasn't done anything. So clearly she does not belong. And, um, I don't know. And Jesus just standing from the outside, seeing it all and allowing it to go forward. So that way it continues into, um, continues into this, like living parable almost where this teaching moment. I just, I, when I think about that goodness, how many times have I presumed to know the thoughts mm. of God?
2: Mm. How many times have I stood back and not said anything and let something persist when I should have said something? Hmm. And like that, that's what made me think like Jesus was, he didn't say a word and their thoughts continued and their thoughts continued to act, you know, to, to words. And then G, that's when Jesus, you know, kind of shut it down. But how many times have I stood back and just let the words happen?
3: Oh, man, Or how many times have I been, you know, privy to someone trying to reach out to me as an extension of Jesus and they still reach like what they were hoping for, but like you miss out on that celebration in the same way when you kind of neglect or reject that that thought. Like, almost imagine if if I were there that in the shoes of the disciples, with with that thinking in mind that I would have walked away kind of defeated. Because, you know, instead of instead of responding with the heart and the intent that Christ would, the compassion and love that Christ would. I responded in the way that I I see fit. God still does what He He what what you know what He was hoping to accomplish, but because I didn't join in, like I kind of walk away defeated. Instead of rejoicing with them, I'm kind of walking away in a mourning. Not that they received what they what God intended for them to receive, but because I my heart wasn't in the place that it needed to be to. To, to come to that place of of rejoicing with them.
0: So you have that conviction there and that's
3: Which is still good. Shaping which, and
0: forming you it, for the next opportunity. Right.
3: I love that in the in in the midst of opposition, she was still persist persistent, like in her mind she was she was trusting Jesus for this healing for her daughter. And in the face of people who knew exactly the one who could take care of this, like they were kind of trying to brush her off, but like that wasn't, that wasn't going to be enough to her. Like all I need is a morsel. I don't need the whole meal. I just need a morsel to see like healing take place. And so it's almost like in a sense, like she's just wanting a mustard seed And she's got the faith of it, but she just wants that little touch, like just I just need a piece of it, and like I know it'll be, I know it'll be well. And so, in the midst of opposition from the place that you wouldn't expect it to come, um, she still doesn't like bad an eye. Doesn't like she says what? What did she say? Yes, like
1: uh, in in response to Jesus when he says. It's not right to take the children to bread. She's like, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is, Lord.
3: And so, yeah, I just, I mean, in, in the midst of opposition, she's like, no, I, I know this is right. I, I trust that you can do it. I have faith. And yeah, that is uh, immeasurable faith.
0: I was struck by Jesus's response here as we were talking that... I guess when I see a heart issue, I particularly it goes back to my kids most of the time because that's who it is. Um, I feel like that I'm most consistently discipling because we're, we're doing life together. And when I see a heart issue, my tendency is to pull the weed right then. Um, instead of allowing a situation to cultivate, that allows me to teach and instruct with the surrounding situation as it unfolds in a way that actually teaches them experientially instead of doing some sort of direct instruction where things are more abstract than practically realized and i just love that jesus here he he allow he allows that and that that's i guess he allows this situation to unfold enough to enable his disciples to come to this self-discovery or this conviction, um, Derek, that you had mentioned, uh, without really directly confronting them about any of it. And I feel like when we're spirit-led, as we disciple those around us, this is what that looks like. That the spirit places in our heart the right things to say and respond, even if they seem contrary to what should be the like intellectually what should be the right response or the correct response in that moment it goes almost a different direction to lead and create this situation that's a teachable moment and i just i don't know jesus checked me on that just now i think so jesus i, I hear you and and i'm going to i'm going to work in those moments where i have a tendency to jump out and react and I'm going to work to hold my tongue long enough to consult you to hear what it is that you would have me to say, or to hear what it is that how you would have me respond in those moments.
3: I think you made a great point in, in recognizing that the conviction is a good thing. I know we've mentioned that a few times throughout like our episodes, but you know, in this vertical living, like I think there has to be a point where we come to, we recognizing that, that, conviction is a good thing. Like when we gather and we talk about seeing the good things, I know that that's been mentioned several times, like the conviction that Jesus brings, because you know, He loves us too much to allow us to stay. And you know, I can I can imagine what it would have been like for the disciples. Like, I don't know if I were in their shoes, I would have walked away kind of defeated knowing that I didn't do it right, but that I also know like the grace of God gives me another opportunity. And so it's a chance to learn that I don't have to respond the same way. And so, like, that's that's such a great thing to to never forget. It's not like, you know, uh, you um, can necessarily, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily came to that perspective of conviction being a good thing, like, you know, immediately. But I recognize, like, the longer in this journey, how good conviction is. That it's like, it's a way for him to steer us and guide us and shape us and mold us, so.
1: I think the uh, the other thing that grabbed me was when you made the statement about how Jesus um, like handles the interaction a- as a means of him teaching uh, and kind of living the teaching that he's already done, like living it out practically, allowing them to see kind of uh, in a hands-on way what it looks like, what he's already explained. I think the Canaanite woman at the same time is also a fleshing out of some of the things that Jesus has been talking about and teaching about. Cause back in Matthew seven, we, we have like Jesus teaching on like, uh, asking, seeking and knocking, right? And like just this, this relentless pursuit, uh, and how in our faith journey, in our faith life, this is what we are called to where we are relentlessly pursuing Jesus it, like God. Right. And The Canaanite woman embodies that relentless pursuit in the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty, in the face of insult from the very one who she's coming to, right? She continues to pursue because she knows that regardless, like the only one who could do anything about my situation is the one standing in front of me. So I have no other option. I continue to pursue. I continue to ask. I continue to seek. I continue to knock and I'm not going to stop because I know he's the one who can do something about it. And so I I think that that just, it it was almost like like both Jesus and his words and the way he handles the situation and the Canaanite woman and her words and the way she handles the situation act as a twofold concrete example of everything Jesus has been teaching for the disciples to see and experience and understand and, and kind of integrate into who they are as the disciple who is soon going to be, and I say soon because we're in chapter 15, you know, chapter 28 is when we get to the Great Commission, but they're soon going to be sent out in expectation of living out this expansion of the kingdom through them. And this is all part of it, and they're seeing that practically played out in front of them in preparation for this time.
0: And they can't just be taking it to the lost sheep of Israel at this point. And so Jesus is beginning to stretch kind of their thinking even further. I mean, he's already kind of begun doing that. But to continue that conversation of, hey, this prophecy is being fulfilled through Israel, but it doesn't mean that I didn't come to save the world. Hmm. And which is good news, I think, for all of us sitting around this table, because I think we checked and <laughs> none of us have any sort of uh, <laughs> Jewish. Jewish roots. Nope. So well, and we <laughs> we're already grafted know, in.
1: We already know that Jesus says that it doesn't being a Jew is not a birthright. It's a heart obedience conversation. So
3: she also like, and maybe this is God just being God and working all things out, but she is, is persistent in pursuing Jesus for the life of her daughter. Mm -hmm. But like Jesus in the same token is persistent in pursuing us for our lives. Like he's, he's doing, he's doing the very same thing or, like she's it's almost like she's like a, a symbolism in some ways for what's about to take place hmm. because he is going to relentlessly pursue his he, children yeah in, in the in in spite of what everyone is saying around him in spite of insults and his body being broken his blood being shed because there's no other choice and he knows we have no other choice if he doesn't go to the cross we're we're hopelessly lost without him, and so it it kind of almost mirrors, not that she's Jesus, obviously, but it mirrors what what he's about to do for us, and the relentless pursuit of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, and so, I mean, thank you, Jesus, for the example.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you can even take that further that that piece where you know she's doing this on behalf of her daughter. And yes, there's definitely some like Christological overtones there where like you see this is what Jesus does on our behalf. And this is what the spirit does on our behalf. But it also brings in the importance of the community for us today, like for them then, but also for us today. Like our faith journey is not this journey that we can do independently, that we can do on our own. Like we live in a culture that um, – Exalts the self-made man or woman, the one who is able to, like I did it myself. I am here because what I did, right? Like this is who I am and everything I've accomplished. And like this story kind of goes against that. It's antithetical to that because the the healing of this demon-possessed daughter doesn't happen if not for the relentless pursuit and sacrifice of somebody else on that person's behalf. And so her healing is a direct result of somebody else's faithfulness. And the same can be said in our faith communities and in our communities, you know, extending beyond our faith communities, just in our communities as a whole. Like we don't thrive, we don't, we don't reach the potential that God has called us to reach. We don't image, we 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 do not reflect the image of Christ when we have that like go it alone mentality. We really need each other on this journey, whether it's when I'm struggling for somebody to come alongside me and and help me in that journey, or when somebody else is struggling, I go alongside them. Like we just, I don't know, we can say it a thousand different ways, but we can't do it alone. We need each other. Um, so that I think that just her, this relationship between the the woman and her daughter, I think really does well to paint that picture that we need, that she needed, they needed each other and we need each other in our pursuit of Jesus.
2: Um, and one thing that's notable about this woman, when she's coming, she's not asking for this laundry list of things. She's asking for what she needs. She has a daughter who is suffering terribly. Um, and that's all she asked for. Um, and when Jesus, you know, when Jesus makes the comment that he came for the lost sheep of Israel and that, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, her response is, I just want a crumb. Like, I don't have to have the whole bread. I don't have to have a whole meal. I just want what is discarded. I just want what is not even meant for human consumption. I just need a little bit.
0: There's so much humility in her request and and her response in general, um, to take on this identity of the dogs that we talked about earlier, about um, how, you know, the dogs are not really um, of of any sort of significant value whatsoever. And so, um, she accepts his declaration that she is such and asks, as you said, Brittany, for what she needs.
2: Everything about her, this whole interaction. She is, there's so much humility. There's so so much humility to come and cry out. And then she stops and she kneels before him. There's a lot of humility in that kneeling. And then she accepts the, you know, what is being portrayed on her, that she's a dog. She she completely accepts that. And I, I think a lot of, Jesus is humility and he can you know, I, I think that there's a lot of recognition that, you know, we we need to come to him humbly. And I think that's might be what the um, disciples were lacking. Hmm. That they were lacking that humbleness. Um and that's why Jesus kind of has this interaction the way that it is.
3: We talked a few weeks ago about about needing it like desperately needing like Jesus, and she's coming to Jesus in in desperation. Uh, not not that necessarily like that's the way he wants you to come every time, but she's coming recognizing like I've exhausted every other avenue, and the only way I can like even if it's just a crumb, that's that's all I want. I I don't need um all that you possess or all that you can do. So yeah, there's just this. Extreme humble attitude when it would have been easy for her to turn away when he essentially, you know, equated her with a dog. Well, forget
0: Um, that guy, yeah. yeah, but I'm offended, yeah,
3: but she wasn't because desperation makes you like it's easy to it's 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 harder to be offended when you're desperate,
0: man. And we just talked about this so last week we talked about how Jesus's statement to the Pharisees was so offensive. And they don't realize their desperate state, and so because they can't realize their desperate s- state, because they lack the humility that this Canaanite woman has, mm. they go on. And Jesus, I know we're jumping back, but Jesus says what's going to happen to them. He says they're essentially
1: they're going to get
0: ripped out and yeah. discarded. But then you see the contrast of this woman who's but humble who, and
1: who quote doesn't belong
0: and but. yeah she she complete she completely submits to her lack of belonging
3: and in that he's able to teach people who recognize their desperation hmm. but haven't like they've that they're like uh, like Peter their their visions kind of skewed they're walking on water and take their eyes off of Jesus and so like even in the midst of that he's willing to teach so if you're practicing, like, listening and hearing and responding, you can take this opportunity to, like, be corrected. So there's a lot going on in this, like, short amount of of verses.
1: A lot more than I would have thought initially. Um,
3: I mean, you have so many different perspectives. Someone who's humble in need of desperate need. Um, You have others who you know, are responding in the way they think because Jesus isn't saying anything. They think they're responding correctly and and Jesus uses it all. He uses her as an example of what great faith looks like. And I feel like, you know, he's using the disciples in a way of, of correction or, you know, re steering, reshaping, molding, conviction, whatever you want to call it. So there's there's a lot to, to take in just a few verses
0: feel like it causes me to ponder. So we go through different seasons in our lives. Um, some of them were on top of the world. And we it's really difficult in those moments, I think, to see or to remember how desperate we really are for Jesus. Um, and then there are other seasons where he really, like a life circumstances, he allows us to be brought just to our knees, collapsing at his feet recognizing our desperation. And it's a it's an uncomfortable prayer to pray, but it's almost like you see here how important it is for Jesus to keep you in a desperate state, a state where you constantly recognize your need for him.
1: I mean, the reality is not a single one of us can save ourselves. And as such we we are in a desperate state every moment we desperately need the the salvation that that Jesus offers it's not just this one time when i pray a prayer and then i'm delivered and now i just am in the kingdom of heaven it's like this every single moment of every single day, I am so dependent and and n- in need of his continued deliverance. Mm-hmm. Because every day, as I still live in this body that I am in, there is the tension that exists between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of this world and the flesh that I, I wear. Mm-hmm. And I... I have to surrender that daily, moment by moment, and allow Jesus to continue to deliver me. That's what it means for me to live in the kingdom of heaven today. It's a continual submission to the lordship of Christ, which means that I am fully dependent on him moment by moment. And you're right, when things are going good, it it can... I can find myself in a place where I forget about my dependence because I get so focused on temporal things, I lose sight of the eternal with Christ. But the reality is, even in the midst of the temporal, like I am fully dependent on his deliverance every single moment because I need him to save me continuously, to to save me from from the intentions and inclinations that I may have and, and to continue to purify me of those things as I submit them to him and, and listen for his leadership and his guidance and, and then live out that in my life. Um, Yeah, it's, we are, we're, we're in desperate need of his, uh, of his deliverance. I I even wrote that note in my Bible. It said deliverance is a moment by moment thing.
0: We today in our table group, that was one of the focuses towards the end of our conversation um, was about this idea that Jesus has to be, continually saving and that we have to maintain, I guess, maintain this desperate state. Although I don't know that those were exactly the ideas all full fledged out there, but
1: well, and I know these words might fail, right? They, people, some of you listening might hear this and go, man, you guys are skating on thin ice, but the reality is whatever words you choose to use, we are fully dependent on God moment by moment. And if we ever find ourselves in a place where we think we are no longer dependent on God, We're probably not in a good place,
0: or we're yeah probably at least in a dangerous place. If nothing else,
1: we're we're in a dangerous place. Probably a place similar to that that the Pharisees found themselves in in last week's conversation.
3: It's it's like using the words like like salvation. Like if we use those words in a past tense form, we're we're equating it to a one time, a one time thing. And as you stated, it's an ongoing. I, I like what you said last week about. It's it's that I have to become nothing, right. so that he can become everything. Um, really, that's that's what we're left with. Either he's everything, or, you know, we don't like the other option. But he's either everything or he's nothing.
1: And I think, kind of maybe bringing this conversation to a close and and marrying it with. I mean, what today is, it is Christmas, like I already said. And so Christmas is, is such a big day because it is the day of Emmanuel, God with us. And because Jesus came and put on flesh, living this life, exemplifying a life of humility, and walked in front of us to be able to, to live a life of example as well and continues to walk with us because he is still Emmanuel. He is still God with us. We can live the life that we live and walk on this journey that we are on and continue to experience his deliverance daily because he is with us. He is not removed from us somewhere far off where we have to be like, Oh, Jesus, where are you? I need your deliverance now. He is literally walking in step with us as we pursue him and able to continue this like daily deliverance this daily uh calling us into the life that he is he is prepared for us uh this this life of righteousness uh that that he desires for us um i know we've used the word salvation a lot today the this saving independence and, and deliverance and and another word that I think we especially, you know, being a podcast from the Church of Nazarene, another word that would be important for us to bring in is this conversation on sanctification and how, like, even that is just this continual journey where we are being purified, being brought into, like, right-er <laughs> relationship with him, a, a better reflection of him on a moment-by-moment basis where we are loving him more and loving others more. And as we continue to grow and mature and experience this transformation to his image, we we lose ourselves more and more because he becomes more. And all of that, again, all of that is only possible because Emmanuel, God is with us. And so thank you, Jesus, for for being with us. Thank you for your birth that we celebrate today. And may we continue to remember as we turn this off, as we go about our days, that you are with us just as the Canaanite woman needed you. We need you every step of the way.
0: Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.